if everybody will, we will be in a very well-known piece of scripture tonight. Um, in 2 Kings chapter 13, we will be reading verses 14 through 19, and then we'll skip down to 23 through 25. Now, this is a very well-known story, so I expect everyone to get it real quick, okay? Ashley will be posting them in the comments for all of you at home or anybody watching back on the video. And I'll be fair, I'm racing you guys. I opened it. I didn't have it marked in my book, so I'm already here, okay? If you don't got it yet, say hold up. If you got it, we're going to go. Everybody say hold up, so we're going to go. So it says right here in verse 14, it says, Elisha, S-H, had become sick with illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a, take a bow and some arrows. So he, shook, so he, took, him a, he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to him, he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hand over the king's hand. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at effect. I may be butchering that name, but that's okay. So you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said, to him, he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. And we're going to jump down to verses 23 through 25 and read those really quick. It says, but the Lord was gracious to them and, and had compassion on them and regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and would not destroy them, not yet destroy them or cast them from his presence. Now Hazel, the king of Syria, died. Then Ben-Hadad, ben ben -had, all these weird names, you know, uh, his son reigned in his place. Then Jehoash, the son of, of Jehoaz, Jehoaz, recaptured the hand of Benhad, the son of, um, of Hazel, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoaz, his father, by war. Three times, Joash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. So, I'm going to talk to y'all, and if you would, tell your neighbor what the name of my title is. If you would just look at your neighbor and tell them, I still got more to give. I still got more to give. Ashley's just sitting there on, on by herself. So, Now, if you look at your other neighbor and tell them other neighbor, you can look behind you. Your neighbor's all around you, all right? You count all the people around you near your house, right? If you look at your other neighbor and tell them, other neighbor, you're my second option. <laughs> but I still got more to give. And if you will, we will go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Lord God, we just want to thank you for allowing us to be here today, God. 
Open our hearts and our ears so that we may hear and receive your word, Father. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to talk a little bit about still having more to give. And I feel like this is what God has laid on my heart for this year, 2023. For Riff, I know we're in Mount Hebron, but this is for Riff, okay? But um, is anybody here? And I already failed this question because I actually didn't know it. But if y'all don't know it, then I'm, I'm really in trouble. Does anybody here remember the movie or the book, Oliver Twist? Okay, thank God. Otherwise, this whole intro was not going to make sense to anybody. But if you remember from the movie, you have Oliver Twist. He's a little orphan. He works in the factory in England. And there's a point in the movie where they're all eating. And, and how, how the writer puts it is they had so little food that you didn't have to clean the plates because the children were eating all the food that they were practically clean by the time they gave them the bowl back. Well, at one point, Oliver goes and he asks this man who is giving out the food, the, the poor cafeteria worker who is having to give out the food, and he says, please, sir, may I have some more? And those of you who remember the movie, the movie is a very, they really draw out the scene because, please, sir, may I have some more? And he's like, what? Very overdramatic scene, very overacted scene. But a lot of us remember that scene from that movie. If you don't remember the rest of the movie, you remember that one in particular scene. And a, and a chase breaks out, and there's so much craziness breaks out because Oliver asks for more. And I think I'm thinking about this movie, and I haven't thought about this movie since I was in elementary school when I read the book, because I remember them showing the movie in class. And for some reason, that was what came to my mind. And I thought, man... God is Oliver, right? Like, God's Oliver. He's always asking us for more. He's like, if you just give a little bit more, if you could just give a little bit more of what you have, then that'll be fine. And that's a lot of times what we think of God as. We think of God as always asking more from us. And then in the same response, we're always the, the man going, what? Because we've already given God so much. God, I already come to church on Sunday mornings. You already get my Sunday mornings. I could be asleep in bed right now. A lot of us, especially on this Sunday morning, because maybe you stayed up to watch the ball drop or, or whatever you did, or if you're like me and Ashley, you stayed up to watch Iron Man snap at midnight. But you watch something at some point, so that way to bring in the new year and celebrate it. And I guarantee you, most of y'all were like me and Ashley and did not want to get out of the bed this morning when it came time because you're like, I was up till midnight or 1 a.m. and I, I want to sleep. And, you know, we think that just doing the bare minimum is our more. God, I, I come to church. Some of us are really good. We come to church twice a week. God, what else do you want? What else could you possibly need, right? But then when we need something, the roles shift, don't they? Right? When the bills are a little tight, we're Oliver. God, can I have some more? Right? When things aren't going exactly our way, we love to go, God, I need some more. God, I want some more. Can I please have some more? And it's interesting how quick those roles can switch. Because when we have enough, or we have an abundance of what we, what we have, we're not quick to give it away. Whether that be our time, whether that be our money, whether that be just anything 
that we could possibly do for God. If we have an abundance of something, you want to hold on to it, don't you? It makes you think of vacations. So vacations for me and Ashley, we love to go out, and we like to find restaurants. We're foodie. We're, we're food people. We, we research restaurants as well as what we're going to do for the day because the restaurants are almost as important on the impact of the day. You can, go to, you can go to a theme park, but if that food is not banging for the morning to evening, it is not a good day on the vacation. But other people are, are different ways. Mama and Ronnie are the people that go, we just want to sit at the hotel and sleep or watch movies. You don't have to look at me like that. You know it's true. They, they, they want to relax on their vacation. Perfect, makes perfect sense. You want to you chill out and relax. Because here, here's, here's the thing. It's, it's different how you spend your abundance, right? Because when you're on vacation, you have an abundance of a lot of things, right? You probably saved up for the vacation, so you should have an abundance of money, right? You're off from work, and you're only spending time on vacation, so you have an abundance of time, right? So you want to spend it how you want to spend it. For me and Ashley, that's, that's eating good food. And for other people, that's relaxing in the hotel. Whatever you want to do with it is that's how you want to hold on to that abundance, right? But if work calls you and says, hey, are you close enough that you, could, that you can get here? Or if, you're, or if you're someone who can work remotely, hey, can you log in for a bit? You're like, no. This is my time. This is, this is the time I sectioned off for myself. Or we're not quick to give that up. God forbid that God rings up the phone and says, hey, I know you're in an area that you don't really know right now, but that homeless man right there that you have no idea who he is and you have no idea where the nearest grocery store is, I want you to go get him some food and bring it to him. You're like, but God, we're planning to go to Disney World today. You know how Disney World is, God. We got to get in those lines early, or we're not gonna. We're only gonna ride two roller coasters for the twelve hours that we're there, right? It, it comes. It, then we like the we like the bargain with God about it. We love to say, God, okay, if I do that though, what what could you give me in return for it? What what blessings can I expect in the new year when I do these things? It's easy to get. Okay, if I'm gonna give you my time, if I'm gonna give you my abundance. What do I get in return? And so we see that with this king. Now this king, he, he is not a great king. Not a great king. You can go back and read previous verses. It says he did, all, he did the wrong in the sight of the Lord. But the second that Elisha, S-H, my favorite Elisha, if anyone asks, because he, that Elisha, he's got some attitude, and I love it. But we, could, we can talk about that at a later point in time. But Elisha is on his deathbed. And this man, he comes to mourn for Elisha. Now, his first comment when he talks about the chariots of Israel, he's actually referencing about Elijah, which if you remember, he came down and was picked up by the chariots of, chariots of God and taken into heaven. So he's talking about, hey, you're going to die, and I'm sad, and I'm going to weep. But the second, Elisha is like, hey, Go get some bows and go get some arrows. He's like, oh, 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 I'm about to get something for doing this. This is great. This is great. Go get it. Go get the bow. Go get the, go get the arrows. And he doesn't hesitate at all. There is no hesitation in this man saying, go get the bow. He's like, I got the bow. Okay. Put your hand on the bow. I got my hand on the bow. 
on the bow. Uh, all right, go open the window. By our hip, I, I put my hand on the bow. Go open the window. Okay. Open the window. Okay. I should you open the window before I got the bow? I'm just thinking. But he's like, he's not even questioning. He's like, okay, what, what, what do you want me to do next? What do you want me to do? All right, take the arrow. Okay, now what do we do? And then he's like, I'm going to put my hands over your hands. Okay, that's a little weird. That's kind of like a, well, it's, it's a little awkward, but okay. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, man. If it was me, I'd be like, dude, please don't touch me. Can we do this without you touching me right now? But he, he's like, okay. And shoot the arrow out the window. Just out the window? Like, what if I hit something? Don't worry about it. Just, just shoot the arrow out the window. And he's like, okay. And he shoots it out the window. He must have had a good aim. Because if Elijah was mad about slamming the arrows into the ground, I can't imagine how mad he would have been if this man missed shooting out of, the air, out of the window and struck the wall or something with the arrow. But he got out the window, and he goes, that's your victory. He's like, oh, that's great. I came just to mourn, but I'm really glad I got something out of it, right? That's how we like treat church, right? We treat church as though we show up because, not because we're expecting something all the time, but we know every once in a while we'll get something out of it. So that's why we come. It's nice to do that, right? Hey, Elisha's dying and I'm in trouble. Maybe if I go see him, there's a chance that he'll give me a word. That's all Elisha did. That was his job. He gave words to kings and told them what to do. So this guy who hasn't listened to God says, let me go listen to God now and see if something happens. And so we see him, he puts, he puts away his idols, because that's what he was known for, was idolatry. Puts away all of his idols and shows up in the place, just like we like to do on Sunday mornings. We like to show up and go, okay, I've got some time, because most of us, if we weren't on church Sunday morning, we're probably sleeping in bed. Some of us waiting for a football game to come on. Some of us waiting for the NASCAR race. Some of us, you know, whatever you're waiting for on Sunday morning. Maybe you're waiting for breakfast. or You're, you're, you're just waiting. You're not doing anything, really. Now, if you work, I'm sorry. You, you, if you work, you do stuff. But regardless. So we're just sitting there and we go, okay, I got some time I could give God. It's a convenient time for me and my weekend. Because Saturday is normally the day that everyone runs errands if you work. That's when you try to get all your stuff done. And so Sunday, it's kind of like your day to relax. So it's like, I got some time I could give God. I'll cut out that time in my perfect little two-hour segment. From 10 to 12, God, I am all yours. But after 12, it's lunchtime, and I'm ready to eat. So we love to partition what's comfortable for us with God, just like our king. God, I'm not comfortable enough to give you my kingdom, but I am comfortable enough to give you a little bit of my time if I'm going to get something out of it. And we love to do that, even though God's asking us for more. He gives that. This is a king of Israel. He has people underneath him. He has people that he can influence. He, has, he, could, he could bring Israel back together because right now they're two separate nations. But he doesn't want to give God all of that. That's his. That's not God's. Let me give him that 10% of my time. Right? It's like we like to give our tithes and give our 10% of our money. We'll give him our 10% of our time. We'll give him the 10% of everything in our life. If it was good enough for Jacob, it was good enough for me. Right? God, you can have 10% of my house. 
you can have that one little area that I pray in. God, you can have 10% of my vehicle on the way to work. When I'm praying on the way to work, you can have 10% of my little bits of everything, but you can't have all of it. God, you can't be everywhere in my house because sometimes I like to have parties and maybe that doesn't make people feel comfortable. We love to make excuses for God. We love to tell God, we love to say that we're, we've given everything to God, whether we've given all of our stuff to God until God asks for a little bit more of it. We sell ourselves short of the things that we have because we don't think it's good enough. And if you think back to the parable of talents and you think to that story, you, know, you hear about the man who was given 10 and he doubled it. God said, I'll give you more. There's a man who gets five, and he doubles it, and he said, I'll give you more. And there's the person with one. And that person with one, they bury it, and they keep it safe. There's nothing wrong with that, right? That's what the, the guy told him to do. He said, here, I'll give you the money. Make sure you bring it back to me. And he said, I'll do that. I'll, I'll bury it, and I'll keep it safe, and I'll bring it back to you. But he didn't double it. All that he was given, he kept. Because he thought it was so little. And also he thought it was something that wasn't earned. He tells the king that, I know that you didn't get this by working with your own hands, so I buried it to keep it safe. If that's not an evidence of God's favor in your life, I don't know what is. It's really easy to look at your life and look at the people around you and go, I don't deserve to be where I'm at. I don't deserve to have the things that I have. God has blessed me tremendously. And it's just as easy to think about that and praise God as it is to think about that and think less of yourself. Think less of what you have because it feels like someone else has given it to you that you haven't really earned it yourself. God, the free time I have because I have a job that's good for me that can pay my bills, I don't have to work two jobs. Or I don't have to go and do something on the side to earn enough money to pay my bills. That free time that I have, I have to keep it safe. I can't go and do crazy things with it. I can't go and, and spend a bunch of money to hand out cheeseburgers to the homeless people in Myrtle Beach because... I don't have the money for that. What if, if, what if I spend too much and then I don't have the bills and then I have to get that second job and then I lose that time? We love to overthink things. We over, love to overthink, what if I gave God a little bit more and then I don't have enough? We talked about, this is probably a few months back, I'm thinking a few weeks back, with the, the bread and the fish, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, right? And, yeah, think when the disciples are going around to these people, asking them what they have that they can use to feed all these people, it's, it would be so easy to go, no, this is my food. This is, this is my fish or this is my bread. This is what I brought. If they didn't bring it, that's their own fault. Some of us, if we're honest, would, would say that. Probably me because I like my food. I'm like, hey, God. That's their fault. They should have brought 
They should have stopped the McDonald's on the way here, okay? It's not my fault. They didn't get no cheeseburgers, so they have something to eat on the way home, okay? I did what I was supposed to do, right? If we, we could even twist the Bible a little bit and say, you know, like the, the virgins with the oil in the lamp and the ones that ran out, they said, well, if we give you what we have, then we won't have enough to get there. That's the wrong meaning from the story, by the way, just in case everybody's wondering. God will never tell you not to give. In fact, that's the whole point of this message is that even if, even in the little bit that you look at and that you say that you have and you, that, that's, that's that extra, maybe, not even, maybe it's not even extra. Maybe it's all that you have. Maybe it's all that you have to survive on, and God is still saying, I can use that and make it so much more than what you think it is. Because to us, a dollar is a dollar, right? To us, a minute is a minute. But to God, a minute can change someone's life. A second can change someone's life. One decision can change someone's life. And to us, it's always, well, that's, that's something so small. Because it, it, what you call small, I can multiply it to make it big. I can take it, and I can double it. And I can double it, and I can double it, and I can double it. And that one minute that you spent to talk to that one person is now someone who has saved 500 people. It's always more than you think it is. We, could, we always give that extra that we have. Right? I think most of us, if you, if you give your tithes, if you've been doing it for a while, you're probably like, okay, I can still afford my bills with my tithes. And you're like, so I give my 10% and I'm good. I'm going to be honest, I do it. Maybe I'll put $5 extra in there every once in a while, but generally that's my 10%. I give it and I'm like, all right, I can afford my bills. But the devil will get to you and go, well, what if you had that extra? And you could put that in savings. And then you could store that, and you could put it, and you could spend it and pay off your house. You could pay off your car. That's, one, that's extra that you can give later on. We won't think about that with our tithes because we're good Christian folks, right? None of us ever think about that with our tithes because we're great Christian people, and great Christian people never do that. But we'll think about it with everything else. You know, what if I didn't go to church today? Then I could take that Sunday morning to go visit the family member that I never see. Isn't that just as good? Right? Well, if I, if, I, if I don't go to church, but I go to feed the homeless, that's just as good. Yeah? But God's like, you got all Sunday, you could do that too. We love to find excuses so that way we can do something else while cutting back on God. Because we can't give it, we can't give that extra we can't, we can't give more. You know, we already set up that segment of that 10 to 12 that God gets. Okay, so I'll spend it with something else, but then the rest of the day is still mine, God. The rest of the time that I don't give to you is still mine. It's still mine to use. Let's get back to our story. I feel like I'm going, my brain's going everywhere at the moment, but y'all just going to have to excuse me for that. Let's talk about our king a little bit more. Because he, you know, he does this whole thing, and he's listening, and he's, he's, he's following the instructions better than I would have, even though he's, he's not the best king of Israel. But he's doing way better than I would have. And so he's getting the bow. He shoots out of a window. He's probably done that a lot. He's king, right? He's probably been in some battles. He's probably seen some battles. 
He knows how to shoot a bow, obviously. So that feels normal. But then comes the second part. Okay, now take your arrows and stab them into the ground. That's not what an arrow is used for. You know, the, the whole point of the arrow is to shoot the arrow, right? So you're telling me, okay, this is a, a great sight. You know, you shoot the arrow out the window, you're watching it fly across, and he's like, there's your victory. There's the arrow. That's the arrow that's going to deliver you to where you need to be. And you're like, oh, yes, Lord, yes. He's like, now take some arrows and throw them in the ground. And you're like, what in the world are you talking about? That's not a pretty picture. But okay. Doesn't question it. He takes his arrows, and he's got his little quiver, and he stabs them in the ground. He goes, one, two, three. It's got to feel pretty weird, I imagine, throwing arrows into the ground after you just shot one out the window, and the, the prophet who is almost dying is asking you to do it. So you're like, okay, uh, one, two, three. That should be good. And it's a trick question the entire time. Because the man who was dying on his deathbed trying to bless you didn't tell you how many arrows to do. It's one of the few times in the Bible that God doesn't lay out his instructions pretty clearly of how things should go. I mean, just ask Moses. He got every detail about that tabernacle. He was probably sick of writing numbers down. But for some reason, the important part of saying you need to do this five or six times didn't happen until after he already did it the three times. And so he falls just short of what God or Elijah has asked him to do. And you got to imagine that's probably heartbreaking. So heartbreaking that I failed something that I didn't even know I was being tested on. Right? I didn't know how important it was at the time. But now that I do know, I could have done so much better. He probably would have took every single arrow out of that quiver. And we don't know. Maybe he only had five or six in the quiver. Maybe he had 20. But I guarantee you after that, if he could have gone back in time, he'd probably been like, just, I'm going to take them all and just dump them out and start sticking them in the ground real quick. If it means that I'm going to be fully delivered, that it means that my giants and my enemies and the things I face in my life will be defeated because I was faithful. He's like, no, 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 you, you need to trust before you know what the answer is. You have to have faith enough to believe that even though this looks stupid, even though you probably feel dumb throwing your arrows in the ground, that it's still important. You came all this way. You've done everything up to this point. How come you stop short here? If we take that and we look at our lives, of why we stop short of the blessings that God is trying to give us is because God is asking us for more when we already feel as dumb in the situation that we're in. We all hate the points of transition when these arrows have to come. There's points in those low moments in between where you feel like, God, I feel like I'm just wandering. I feel like I'm just sitting here wasting my time Okay, I shot the bow. I shot the arrow. You told me I'm going to win. Why do I have to keep doing more? 
And God says, the reason you have to keep doing more is because I'm preparing you to do it. I'm preparing you with this more when I'm asking for a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. I'm preparing you because that more is going to be needed for when you go to where you go to next. And we can see this because the reason the whole point I even included verses 23 through 25 is to show that God doesn't rob him. He doesn't rob the king. He doesn't, this isn't, you know, God, Old Testament God is very, very uh, temperamental a little bit, if you could say that. Don't strike me down. But you'll see, a lot of times in the Old Testament, God, when he, when he tells someone to do it, and they fall short on one detail, he says, okay, you'll win, but you're also going to lose. You'll win for a short time, and then you'll lose. But it doesn't even mention that. As God says, you'll win three times. You could have utterly destroyed them. They would have been gone. But you'll win. And so the king wins. And while the king is alive, he holds on to the land that he took back. He holds on to everything he took back. And God doesn't take it away from him. He says, hey, I know. I know you didn't understand why when you were doing it. And that's fine. But right now, I'm still going to bless you. Because regardless of how, how short you stopped and how much more you could have given, you were still faithful enough to listen to me in the first place. So, so I'm, I'm saying this to say this. We're asking for more. God is asking us for more this year. But not because we, what we had given, it wasn't enough. God asked us for all of it, right? But I'm trusting and believing that God in the year 2023 is going to be giving us so much more that our all is more, right? So if we're giving all of it right here and God is giving us more of it here, that all needs to stay the same. Regardless if the value is greater over here than it was in 2022. So God's giving us and he's giving us and he's giving us and we're trusting him to give us so that we can give more, so that we can do more, so we have more time, we have more money, we have whatever we need to do what we need to so that we can help our community, so that we can help our church people, so that we can do whatever we need to do in 2023 that God asks us to. 2023 should be a year of no excuses because we've had a lot of those. Since 2020, we're still talking about COVID. We're letting it shut everything down. I remember a time before 2020, if someone got the flu in church, church didn't close because one person got the flu. One person gets COVID in the church, and it's like, we got to shut everything down. And that's every church nowadays. We found excuses to make ourselves feel more comfortable in the last two to three years, 2020 to 2022, to feel more comfortable and to feel better about where we're at. It's time to get rid of it. It's time to take those excuses and wipe them away and say, God, regardless of what happens, I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to fall short. I'm not going to stop at three. I'm going to be faithful enough to listen to you and to keep going when you tell me to go. I want to leave you all with this. So I wasn't going to keep you all long, but... Here we are. It's already been an hour at this point, almost. But 
<laughs> what if we change the way we thought for this year? I know some of us are probably been out of school for a while. Does anybody remember having to take time test? How many people love time tests? They were your favorite test to take. Okay, those are the people who perform well on pressure. So for everyone else who didn't like it, raise your hand. Um, especially the SAT, right? Because you had a time test and you knew the more I answered, the higher score I get. Right? For me, if you tell me it's a time test, and there's a lot of questions, I get very shaky, I bounce my leg, and I'm going as fast as my brain can possibly go. Even though I'll probably finish the test early, I'm like, I gotta get this done, I gotta rush through it, because I'm, it's timed. Now there's, our, there's, there's that thing in your head going, how much time do I have left? How much? It's like, you finished with 30 minutes left to go, you need to go look back over the answers you rushed through and probably got wrong at this point. But what if we took that same thought into our lives? as the longest time test we're going to take. A time test that you don't know how much time is left on. And said, instead of the excuses of telling God why we can't do something, what if we start telling God why we could? Okay, what if we start looking for opportunities to do more instead of waiting them to come to us? Because you're not waiting for... Uh, most of us, you know, the time test, you know, you always have the book closed, and you're like, oh. you're just sitting there waiting, and you're like, you know, that they're like, if you open it, you're going to get an F, and you're like, well, I'm not opening it, I'm not, you're just sitting there like you're, you're, you're ready to go, ready to go and just get done with, get it over with, your nerves are probably all, all up and everything, you're just ready to get done, but when it comes to God, we're like, okay, I'll just sit here, and I'm going to wait, for as long as it takes for God to give me an opportunity to do something so I can feel like I'm, I'm doing something for his church and his kingdom. You're like, yeah, I could, be, I could be helping wash dishes or something right now, but I, could, I, can, I think I'll just wait. I'll wait for the perfect opportunity to come up. I want to do something big. I think we get caught up in big. I'm just waiting for, for that one Sunday when they ask me to come up there and sing praise and worship with them so that way I can be up at the front. You're like, okay. Well, God's like, well, you're not singing in the crowd right now, so. I just really want to help and, and, and cook food for people. And you're like, God's like, well, you got to buy the groceries first. <laughs> you got you to gotta do this first. You got you to gotta start making the steps in the right direction. So what if we take this year, and as our word, we look for more. We look for more opportunities. We look for more blessings that we can give out. And do it without expecting more in return. Because that's the hard thing. We love to bargain with God until the bargaining isn't what we bargained for. It never is, by the way. My first lesson was going to be on Stephen. I'm, I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, Stephen in the book of Acts, which most of, you, most of us know as Stephen as the guy who got stoned while Saul was sitting there waiting and holding the coats for everybody who were stoning them. He witnessed his death. That was the whole important point of Stephen. 
But if you go back a chapter before, you find out that Stephen was given more before it was taken from him. And his more was to distribute food. And a whole chapter later, he's dead. We love to ask God for more, but we don't want the, we don't want the second chapter part, do we? Yeah, God, I'll distribute food for people. And he's like, okay, but also, when you get arrested, you're going to need to preach this really long sermon, and then you're still going to die for it. I, wouldn't, I, I thought I was just distributing food out for people. <laughs> Let's hold up, God. And a lot of times, the more may look like that. I'm not saying you're going to die for it, but I'm saying when we start looking for opportunities to do more, expect there's going to be more trials. I'm saying in 2023, if we look to do more and we look to, to be more helpful, the Satan's going to try to do more to stop you. And I think that's something that we probably all need to think about if we actually do this is, is thinking about, okay, let's remember back. If something hard is coming up, it's because I'm doing something right. That's all I got for tonight.